Book two, sections twenty two to thirty two of Against Apian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Against Apian by Flavius Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book two, sections twenty two to thirty two. But while we are ourselves persuaded that our law was made agreeably to the will of God, would it be impious for us not to observe the same? For what is there in it that anybody would change? And what can be invented that is better? Or what can we take out of other people's laws that will exceed it? Perhaps some would have the entire settlement of our government altered. And where shall we find a better or more righteous constitution than ours, while this makes us esteem God to be the governor of the universe, and permits the priests in general to be the administrators of the principal affairs, and withal entrusts the government over the other priests to the chief high priest himself. Which priests our legislator, at their first appointment, did not advance to that dignity for their riches, or any abundance of other possessions, or any plenty they had as the gifts of fortune but he entrusted the principal management of divine worship to those that exceeded others in an ability to persuade men and in prudence of conduct these men had the main care of the law and of the other parts of the people's conduct committed to them for they were the priests who were ordained to be the inspectors of all and the judges in doubtful cases and the punishers of those that were condemned to suffer punishment what form of government, then, can be more holy than this? What more worthy kind of worship can be paid to God than we pay, where the entire body of the people are prepared for religion, where an extraordinary degree of care is required in the priests, and where the whole polity is so ordered as if it were a certain religious solemnity? For what things foreigners, when they solemnize such festivals, are not able to observe for a few days' time, and call them mysteries and sacred ceremonies, we observe with great pleasure and an unshaken resolution during our whole lives. What are the things, then, that we are commanded or forbidden? They are simple and easily known. The first command is concerning God, and affirms that God contains all things, and is a being every way perfect and happy, self-sufficient, and supplying all other beings the beginning, the middle, and the end of all things. He is manifest in his works and benefits, and more conspicuous than any other being whatsoever. But as to his form and magnitude, he is most obscure. All materials, let them be ever so costly, are unworthy to compose an image for him, and all arts are unartful to express the notion we ought to have of him. We can neither see nor think of anything like him, nor is it agreeable to piety to form a resemblance of him. We see his works, the light, the heaven, the earth, the sun and the moon, the waters, the generations of animals, the productions of fruits. These things hath God made, not with hands, nor with labor, nor as wanting the assistance of any to cooperate with him but as his will resolved they should be made and be good also, they were made and became good immediately. All men ought to follow this being, and to worship him in the exercise of virtue, for this way of worship of God is the most holy of all others. There ought also to be but one temple for one God, 
for likeness is the constant foundation of agreement. This temple ought to be common to all men, because he is the common God of all men. High priests are to be continually about his worship, over whom he that is the first by his birth is to be their ruler perpetually. His business must be to offer sacrifices to God, together with those priests that are joined with him, to see that the laws be observed, to determine controversies, and to punish those that are convicted of injustice, while he that does not submit to him shall be subject to the same punishment, as if he had been guilty of impiety towards God himself. When we offer sacrifices to him, we do it not in order to surfeit ourselves or to be drunken, for such excesses are against the will of God, and would be an occasion of injuries and of luxury. But by keeping ourselves sober, orderly, and ready for our other occupations, and being more temperate than others. For our duty at the sacrifices themselves, we ought, in the first place, to pray for the common welfare of all, and after that for our own. For we are made for fellowship one with another, and he who prefers the common good before what is peculiar to himself is above all acceptable to God. And let our prayers and supplications be made humbly to God, not so much that he would give us what is good, for he hath already given that of his own accord, and hath proposed the same publicly to all, as that we may duly receive it, and when we have received it, may preserve it. Now the law has appointed several purifications at our sacrifices, whereby we are cleansed after a funeral, after what sometimes happens to us in bed, and after accompanying with our wives, and upon many other occasions, which it would be too long now to set down. This is our doctrine concerning God and his worship, and it is the same that the law appoints for our practice. But then, what are our laws about marriage? That law owns no other mixture of sexes, but that which nature hath appointed, of a man with his wife, and that this be used only for the procreation of children. But it abhors the mixture of a male with a male, and if any one do that, death is its punishment. It commands us also, when we marry, not to have regard to portion, nor to take a woman by violence, nor to persuade her deceitfully and knavishly but to demand her in marriage of him who hath power to dispose of her, and is fit to give her away by the nearness of his kindred. For, says the scripture, a woman is inferior to her husband in all things. Let her therefore be obedient to him, not so that he should abuse her, but that she may acknowledge her duty to her husband, for God hath given the authority to the husband. A husband, therefore, is to lie only with his wife whom he hath married, but to have to do with another man's wife is a wicked thing, which, if any one ventures upon, death is inevitably his punishment. No more can he avoid the same who forces a virgin betrothed to another man, or entices another man's wife. The law, moreover, enjoins us to bring up all our offspring, and forbids women to cause abortion of what is begotten, or to destroy it afterward and if any woman appears to have so done, she will be a murderer of her child, by destroying a living creature, and diminishing humankind. If any one, therefore, proceeds to such fornication or murder, he cannot be clean. Moreover, the law enjoins that after the man and wife have lain together in a regular way, they shall bathe themselves, 
for there is a defilement contracted thereby, both in soul and body, as if they had gone into another country. For indeed the soul, by being united to the body, is subject to miseries, and is not freed therefrom again but by death, on which account the law requires this purification to be entirely performed. Nay, indeed, the law does not permit us to make festivals at the births of our children, and thereby afford occasion of drinking to excess, but it ordains that the very beginning of our education should be immediately directed to sobriety. It also commands us to bring those children up in learning, and to exercise them in the laws, and make them acquainted with the acts of their predecessors, in order to their imitation of them and that they might be nourished up in the laws from their infancy, and might neither transgress them, nor have any pretense for their ignorance of them. Our law hath also taken care of the decent burial of the dead, but without any extravagant expenses for our funerals, and without the erection of any illustrious monuments for them, but hath ordered that their nearest relations should perform their obsequies and hath showed it to be regular, that all who pass by when any one is buried should accompany the funeral, and join in the lamentation. It also ordains that the house and its inhabitants should be purified after the funeral is over, that every one may thence learn to keep at a great distance from the thoughts of being pure, if he hath been once guilty of murder. The law ordains also that parents should be honoured immediately after God himself, and delivers that son who does not requite them for the benefits he hath received from them, but is deficient on any such occasion, to be stoned. It also says that the young men should pay due respect to every elder, since God is the eldest of all beings. It does not give leave to conceal anything from our friends, because that is not true friendship which will not commit all things to their fidelity. It also forbids the revelation of secrets, even though an enmity arise between them. If any judge takes bribes, his punishment is death. He that overlooks one that offers him a petition, and this when he is able to relieve him, he is a guilty person. What is not by any one entrusted to another ought not to be required back again. No one is to touch another's goods. He that lends money must not demand usury for its loan. These, and many more of the like sort, are the rules that unite us in the bands of society one with another. It will be also worth our while to see what equity our legislator would have us exercise in our intercourse with strangers, for it will thence appear that he made the best provision he possibly could, both that we should not dissolve our own constitution, nor show any envious mind towards those who would cultivate a friendship with us. Accordingly, our legislator admits all those that have a mind to observe our laws so to do, and this after a friendly manner, as esteeming that a true union which not only extends to our own stock, but to those that would live after the same manner with us. Yet does he not allow those that come to us by accident only to be admitted into communion with us. However, there are other things which our legislator ordained for us beforehand, which of necessity we ought to do in common to all men, as to afford fire and water and food to such as want it, to show them the roads, not to let any one lie unburied. He also would have us treat those that are esteemed our enemies with moderation, 
for he doth not allow us to set their country on fire, nor permit us to cut down those trees that bear fruit. Nay, further, he forbids us to spoil those that have been slain in war. He hath also provided for such as are taken captive, that they may not be injured, and especially that the women may not be abused. Indeed, he hath taught us gentleness and humanity so effectually, that he hath not despised the care of brute beasts, by permitting no other than a regular use of them, and forbidding any other. And if any of them come to our houses, like supplicants, we are forbidden to slay them. Nor may we kill the dams, together with their young ones. But we are obliged, even in an enemy's country, to spare and not kill those creatures that labor for mankind." Thus hath our lawgiver contrived to teach us an equitable conduct every way, by using us to such laws as instruct us therein, while at the same time he hath ordained that such as break these laws should be punished, without the allowance of any excuse whatsoever. Now the greatest part of offences with us are capital as if any one be guilty of adultery, if any one force a virgin, if any one be so impudent as to attempt sodomy with a male, or if, upon another's making an attempt upon him, he submits to be so used. There is also a law for slaves of the like nature, that can never be avoided. Moreover, if any one cheats another in measures or weights, or makes a knavish bargain and sale, in order to cheat another, if any one steals what belongs to another, and takes what he never deposited, all these have punishments allotted them, not such as are met with among other nations, but more severe ones. And as for attempts of unjust behavior towards parents, or for impiety against God, though they be not actually accomplished, the offenders are destroyed immediately. However, the reward for such as live exactly according to the laws is not silver or gold, it is not a garland of olive branches, or of small age, nor any such public sign of commendation, but every good man hath his own conscience bearing witness to himself, and by virtue of our legislator's prophetic spirit, and of the firm security God himself affords such a one, he believes that God hath made this grant to those that observe these laws, even though they be obliged readily to die for them, that they shall come into being again, and at a certain revolution of things shall receive a better life than they had enjoyed before. Nor would I venture to write thus at this time, were it not well known to all by our actions, that many of our people have many a time bravely resolved to endure any sufferings, rather than speak one word against our law." nay indeed in case it had so fallen out that our nation had not been so thoroughly known among all men as they are and our voluntary submission to our laws had not been so open and manifest as it is but that somebody had pretended to have written these laws himself and had read them to the greeks or had pretended that he had met with men out of the limits of the known world that had such reverent notions of god and had continued a long time in the firm observance of such laws as ours, I cannot but suppose that all men would admire them on a reflection upon the frequent changes they had therein been themselves subject to, and this while those that have attempted to write somewhat of the same kind for politic government, and for laws, are accused as composing monstrous things, and are said to have undertaken an impossible task upon them. 
and here I will say nothing of those other philosophers who have undertaken anything of this nature in their writings. But even Plato himself, who is so admired by the Greeks on account of that gravity in his manners, and force in his words, and that ability he had to persuade men beyond all other philosophers, is little better than laughed at and exposed to ridicule on that account, by those that pretend to sagacity in political affairs. Although he that shall diligently peruse his writings will find his precepts to be somewhat gentle, and pretty near to the customs of the generality of mankind. Nay, Plato himself confesseth that it is not safe to publish the true notion concerning God among the ignorant multitude. Yet do some men look upon Plato's discourses as no better than certain idle words set off with great artifice. However, they admire Lycurgus as the principal lawgiver, and all men celebrate Sparta for having continued in the firm observance of his laws for a very long time. So far then we have gained that it is to be confessed a mark of virtue to submit to laws. But then let such as admire this in the Lacedaemonians compare that duration of theirs with more than two thousand years which our political government hath continued and let them further consider, that though the Lacedaemonians did seem to observe their laws exactly while they enjoyed their liberty, yet that when they underwent a change of their fortune, they forgot almost all those laws, while we, having been under ten thousand changes in our fortune by the changes that happened among the kings of Asia, have never betrayed our laws under the most pressing distresses we have been in nor have we neglected them either out of sloth or for a livelihood. If any one will consider it, the difficulties and labors laid upon us have been greater than what appears to have been borne by the Lacedaemonian fortitude, while they neither ploughed their land nor exercised any trades, but lived in their own city, free from all such pains-taking, in the enjoyment of plenty, and using such exercises as might improve their bodies, while they made use of other men as their servants for all the necessaries of life, and had their food prepared for them by the others. And these good and humane actions they do for no other purpose than this, that by their actions and their sufferings they may be able to conquer all those against whom they make war. I need not add this, that they have not been fully able to observe their laws, for not only a few single persons, but multitudes of them have in heaps neglected those laws, and have delivered themselves, together with their arms, into the hands of their enemies. End of sections 22 to 32